This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. NVIDIA wins Mellanox auction. Trump proposes 2020 budget. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research. I'm Addison Snell, joined again by Tiffany Trader of HPC Wire. Tiffany, it was a big week uh, this week in HPC news. A lot going on out there. So a couple of big stories, big news stories this week. Uh, but before we dive into those, I understand that you were up at the OCP Summit in San Jose this week. And then there was also the, the Bio IT World West that you were at. So what um, what can you tell us about those events? Yeah, the two events going on locally here for me. Bio IT World in the East in April is a big one that I like to go to when I can. But uh, this is the smaller version in the West that was co-located with the Molecular Medicine Tri-Conference. So and uh, it was interesting to see how much of a focus there was, of course, on, on AI and machine learning, in particular with precision medicine. Not a big vendor-dominated show, so a lot of science going on. Although if you knew where to look in the different symposiums, that you could find vendors in the different technology tracks. There's an entire session on data science, precision medicine, and machine learning. Uh, and Sanjay Joshi, who's the industry CTO uh, for healthcare for Dell EMC, um, gave a talk there on lessons learned from a diabetes data set. Data science meets the real world. And the same track had some IBM Watson in it. So we could see the technologies there. But as I said, it was very cloud oriented, which really brings us to the, the big hyperscale stuff that was on display at OCP. I caught some of the opening keynotes this morning. Probably the most interesting was Jason Waxman of Intel, who did give an update on Mount Olympus, that rack level initiative, but also um, a new CPU to device interconnect standard called Compute Express Link. And they had a new ultra-dense cloud server uh, that was based on Optane persistent memory that was put together with Inspur. So that was, I think, some of the more interesting announcements. Microsoft gave an update on Sonic, which is software and open networking in the cloud. And uh, I was surprised at how interesting a presentation by WeWin was with Ethan Yang, one of the tech talks, which included a look at a version of their Tioga Pass server, which is a 48-volt uh, that has a version that does two-phase immersion cooling with a very low PUE ratio of 1.02. So I did definitely get some good content at OCP. Looking forward to going back and getting more tomorrow, including a keynote by Huawei that I definitely want to take in. Thanks for the great recap. Those sound like excellent events. And I know I'm going to see you in the same area next week for NVIDIA's GTC conference. Yeah, another big show they're getting set up for in uh, San Jose. And speaking of NVIDIA, that was really what the top story is this week. That's right. We must think this is a really important event because we've got two pieces already up covering it. And you provided comment for the in-depth story that we we picked up. So we got the initial details Monday, and then we chatted with C CEO Jensen Huang after, along with a, a few of my extended colleagues. And, you know, Jensen was pretty forthcoming. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot to unpack from that briefing. I want to get into some of those orthogonal aspects. But let's, let's, start this, let's start the framing at a high level. So we have these two HPC AI data center companies, you know, at the top of their game right now. And uh, Jensen had this quote, I know we, we both liked it. Jensen said, the data center of the future will be built like high performance computers. So as an HPC and hyperscaler watcher, 
I, I like that. You know, it makes sense. You see the demand for compute and AI and data analytics, and it's driving. You want this leadership. You need this leadership interconnect technology. You want those, you know, fancy cables and switches and software that, you know, really I would say are what turn a computer into a supercomputer. So what do you think when you hear NVIDIA and Mellanox? I mean, these are, like I said, these are two companies at the top of their their HPC AI game and and, and beyond. Yeah, just to give everyone the headline. So we're talking about NVIDIA has uh, announced that it's acquiring Mellanox for $6.9 billion. It was anticipated that Mellanox was going to be acquired. We've been watching that now for several months as company after company was rumored to be in a bidding process for Mellanox. But NVIDIA has emerged as a sudden and surprise winner. And it's interesting to me because you're taking companies that are each at the respective forefront of their areas within high performance fields. NVIDIA with the the GPUs and acceleration and also some of their own on-chip interconnects and, and relating to the various components there, plus the software model around CUDA and programming for GPUs, which has really soared uh, was already picking up steam based on CUDA and just high performance computing. And then with the whole transition to machine learning and AI, the company has, has really taken off. Uh, it's been a long process with NVIDIA and we just watch them grow every year. Mellanox, meanwhile, uh, with InfiniBand consolidated the high end interconnect space in HPC and recently continued to grow based on InfiniBand's presence as a storage interconnect. Plus, they've been adding high-speed Ethernet options. So you get uh, you know, NVIDIA, which has dominated this uh, programming space along with the accelerators and then the high-speed interconnects with Mellanox. That does make for a very interesting combination for high-performance data centers, particularly as more of them are incorporating high-performance workloads like machine learning. Addison, so you mentioned that there was this very competitive bidding process and the public rumors that were out there were that there were there were four people, four companies interested in the in bidding in this on this was which were Intel, Microsoft, Broadcom, and Xilinx, with Intel being a, one of the top contenders again, you know, it, it, that's what it's it's been rumored. So were you I mean, did you think it was surprising if, if that if that were if that were to be true? Did you think it was surprising that NVIDIA outbid Intel, which is uh, bigger, I think about five times bigger. And then, you know, Mellanox is also a competitor. I will say that I think Mellanox is more valuable as a suite of technologies to NVIDIA than it would have been to Intel. I had concerns about the future of InfiniBand if it had gone inside of Intel, which has been consolidating things onto its own standards. I think it's more competitive if NVIDIA has it. And 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 I've even speculated, as have many people, about how much of NVIDIA's bid was a keep it out of Intel's hand kind of uh, move so that they can keep the technology in competition with Intel, who's kind of a natural competitor to both NVIDIA and Mellanox independently. But that alone doesn't explain it. It's not worth paying $6.9 billion for something just to keep it out of the hands of your competitor. It has to make sense within your own corporate portfolio. And I think it certainly does with respect to NVIDIA and their need to do high performance, high bandwidth, low latency data movement in these GPU accelerated systems. 
Right, and increasingly the interconnect is becoming much, you know, much more important for that, more important than ever. That's one of the things that Jensen emphasized is how important the the intelligent interconnect is with more of the computing workload being conducted and going into the interconnect fabric. Of course, you and I know that as the, the offloading approach that is fundamental to Mellanox's technology strategy. Yeah, and also consistent with, I think, how NVIDIA would like to see servers get built where the CPU is essentially doing less, whereas Intel's strategy is to have the CPU essentially doing more. So one is a disaggregated uh, story, the other is an aggregated story. Uh, and without getting into the pros and cons of the two different approaches, it definitely sets up that Mellanox is a valuable a potential asset to NVIDIA with that vision of how these high performance servers can get built at data center scale. Right, right. So um, with NVIDIA having its DGXs, its, its high-end high GPUs, its NVLink, NVSwitch, and now this end-to-end -end interconnect portfolio, they're more and more you know, becoming a, a systems company, uh, a point which Jensen, while conceding, you know, is, is careful about the way he talks about. And I, I, that's a, um, something I think you've noticed as well. Yeah, that's maybe the one big concern I have for NVIDIA in this space. NVIDIA has always been a company that talks a very big game and to its, to its own support. It's a great PR organization in addition to being a great technology organization. And we've watched them migrate from being the GPU company to being the HPC company and now the AI company. And all of those have, you know, been things that NVIDIA has profited from. But what concerns me is if they start uh, calling themselves a systems company. Now, they can sell a lot of things directly to the hyperscale companies or to ODMs in the hyperscale space, like their HGX2, which get picked up by uh, WeWin and others into the hyperscale space. But if it starts feeling like they're competing with their traditional OEM server partners, you know, competing with your own customers is often a very tough business case to go make. And I just don't want NVIDIA to take those for granted. Right. Great, great point. So increasingly, NVIDIA is, is building this, this system stack. And one, one of the elements that they're missing, of course, is a general purpose CPU. So they'd had intentions, and, and we remember they'd had intentions to get into the CPU game going back to, to 2011 with Pro Project Denver, but that didn't, didn't materialize. Uh, so, you know, with, with our momentum as high it is, as it is right now, I think some, some folks have been thinking that that could be a step for NVIDIA to get into, into the CPU game with, with, a, with an ARM chip. But and this is one of the things I thought that Jensen was, was very forthcoming about. And his, uh, his reaction to this was that he, he wasn't particularly uh, excited by the CPU as a, as a market opportunity. He acknowledges, he very strongly acknowledges the importance of serial code and serial processing and the fact that you cannot parallelize everything. But he says that he's, he's very happy you know, working nicely and playing nicely with all of the, the major CPU companies, IBM, AMD, and, and yes, Intel, uh, as well as the, the ARM vendors, you know, Cavia, Marvell, Ampere, and Broadcom. But his getting to the main, driving to the main point here, his, his main point was that he sees uh, more benefit to, to focusing their R&D on engineering that is cap capable of delivering some, some larger X factor of improvement. And by his accounting, uh, to get into the, the R&D game with, with CPUs, the, the X factor, you know, even after five years might only be about 15%. And 
and you have different different companies, you know, fighting fighting over that 15%. So, I don't know, his his strategy has to, to try to be investing into parts of the technology marketplace that didn't have weren't so crowded and that he saw were underinvested and that's that's what he said he's that they've done with accelerated computing and um, they've seen they've seen a return there. So he's basically saying, you know, not not that interested at this point. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. There's not a lot of potential value add for NVIDIA and becoming an arm vendor in of itself. I do think you'll see a lot of systems over time start to get built with ARM plus GPU as that ARM ecosystem starts to emerge. Um, but there are plenty of people who can put those together and no need for NVIDIA to be an ARM vendor in of itself in order to benefit from that. Right, right. So we st- we kind of started this off talking about the, the public rumors that were out there, you know, with uh, with regard to the this bidding process. Um, people love to speculate. We we try not to do it too much, at least not publicly, right, on the journalist analyst side. But one of the things, kind of, people are talking about, and they 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 have been talking about this, but is whether Nvidia has has eyes for for AMD. So the, I'm sure you've heard that. And the, the first thing I think of when I hear that are the potential regular, regulatory challenges. I think there, there could be some hurdles there. But even putting aside that, um, I mean, I think if I were to speculate, I mean, it might, it might make sense for them. You know, going by Jensen's logic, if AMD were to get to, it's, it's, still, it's still a climb, but if they were to get to, say, 20%, that's more than 15%, and they'd be buying and not building. So... You know, and then they have the added benefit of uh, eliminating the, the GPU competition. Out of G- are you? Is that something you, you think about? Well, that'd all be pure speculation in this case. But uh, with regard to that, first of all, you have to consider that AMD already has its own GPU division within the company, and that would quickly become redundant. So that's one hurdle that's in the way. Beyond that, I think the real determining factor there is going to be the hyperscale space, because if the hyperscale companies want to buy Intel processors with NVIDIA GPUs, then there's always going to be a market for that. Any one of those companies is a market maker in of itself. And and that would get in the way of NVIDIA wanting to own the CPU as well as the accelerator, if they're going to have major customers who would want to buy the competing uh, technology. So I think it's it's both on the supply side and on the demand side, there's some potential challenges there. It doesn't make it impossible, but that's not maybe the next thing that I'm looking for to have happen. Well, good point. And I think it'll be interesting to continue to watch this story unfold. Yeah. Meanwhile, that's not even everything that was going on in HPC kind of major. <laughs> this would have been our top story in another week. But uh, the White House has introduced its proposed budget for 2020. So the high level overview here is that the uh, the full 2020 budget is uh, being proposed by Trump. It's four point seven trillion. It's the biggest ever, I believe. So it uh, it increases military spending and cuts some domestic programs like education environmental protection and science. Uh, I don't think that's that unreasonable to say that that's been a recurring theme for the, the Trump budgets. Uh, HPC and Exascale, however, they they fare pretty well in these budgets. Um, however, because supercomputing is essential to our, our national security. So, and you know, so that that's more on the military side of things. And I know there's some other, um, other, other top lines in, in here too. 
I think that's consistent with what we've seen with what happens with supercomputing at the national level in the United States in the past anyway, where Republican administrations have tended to favor defense spending over general research and Democratic administrations have tended to favor uh, the pure science side more over the national defense. But high performance computing tends to get funded either way. It's just sometimes it might flow a little bit more into DOD or a little bit more into NSF. Uh, but the, the amounts of money uh, uh, wind up being there. And in particular with Exascale, we're getting so close to those systems now that really we need to have the the budget there to start the uh, procurement process out of the Exascale Computing Initiative. Yeah, and at, at the risk of of overstating uh, my my earlier point, I when I when I saw the the budget come out this year, it, it called to mind my my story from uh, twenty seventeen. The preliminary budget from 2017. So my article headline that year was Exascale Escapes 2018 Budget Acts, Rest of Science Suffers. And then this year, our story written by John Russell was headlined, Trump's 2020 budget spares DOE-funded HPC but slams NSF and NIH. So you, you can see those those themes here. But but let's look at the numbers for Exascale, because not only did it, it spare Exascale, it it actually um, unlocked some 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 further funding, and as you point out, you know that's needed because those systems are getting closer. So, the the this uh, proposed budget it uh, proposes 5.5 billion for the DOE's Office of Science, and within this amount, there's uh, 500 million. So this is the Office of Science budget. 500 million is budgeted for exascale computing, and uh, 169 million for quantum information science, and then there's 71 million for artificial intelligence and machine learning and a further 25 million going towards uh, to enhance material and chemistry foundational research for uh, to help to promote leadership u.s leadership in microelectronics and then touching to that that 500 million for exascale that's actually part of the eci initiative the exascale computing initiative which sits on top of uh, the over the exascale computing project so there's 809 million um, cut out for the Exascale Computing Initiative, the 500 that we just said for the Office of Science, and then 309 million for the National Nuclear Security Administration, the NNSA, to uh, and that all combined will, to your point, enable the development of an Exascale, the, the deployment of an Exascale computer system in 2021. That, of course, you know, is, is Aurora. Uh, and then one of the interesting things about that NNSA number, that 309 million, that is not um, not quite twice as high as as what it was last year. So there, you're seeing these this increased funding as the deadline draw, draws closer. Right. Now, it's worth stressing that this is a proposed budget. It still has to get passed through Congress and who knows what will happen. Uh, the relationship between the White House and Congress hasn't always been totally smooth. Hopefully there's nothing in there too controversial. I have not seen any line items that suggested that the exascale systems, the racks would be lined up in a row forming a wall along the southern border. Uh, although I suppose that it's possible that that's in there and I just hadn't gotten to that line item yet. But uh, we'll we'll see how it goes through Congress is the point. Yeah, and I think we have to mention here, um, you know, some of the details on the, the other agencies not not faring as well as as the DOE and the the the, the exascale and related budget. So the the NSF the NSF's proposed budget falls from 8.1 billion to 7.1 billion. 
So that's a huge hit. That's a billion dollar hit. Um, I think that's 12%. And this is the agency that funds roughly a quarter of all federally supported basic science and engineering research in, in the US. Uh, and then the NIH would is facing roughly a $4.5 billion cut. Um, and then the National Cancer Institute dropping from 6.1 billion to 5.2 billion. And then there's the, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, 5.5 billion to 4.7 billion there. Again, as you pointed out, um, as we um, as we all know, it's, I mean, it's it's really a preliminary budget. I mean, I think you could even call it a straw man budget at this point that everyone's gonna, gonna react to and shape. Um, and then, you know, to some extent, it's also a political document um, that, uh, you know, sends a message in preparation for the 2020 president, presidential run. Uh, as my colleague John Russell observed, with uh, there's 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 still a lot in play, and with Democrats controlling the House of Representatives and Republicans co controlling the Senate, any bill that emerges is likely to differ significantly from this initial proposal. Well, it's certainly something we're going to keep uh, looking at. We appreciate the articles in HPC Wire keeping us up to speed. As you mentioned, you'll be up here uh, next week in San Jose. We'll be looking at uh, NVIDIA's GTC. Myself and the Intersect 360 research team will be there as well. I know that'll be uh, a source of some of our news next week. Yeah, you know, we'll, we'll be there too. We'll have several editors there, so we'll be there in full force. Uh, and I just also wanted to add back that we're, we're also expecting more budget details to be revealed, and I'm sure we'll have more to say on that. All right, Tiffany, thanks a lot for the updates, and thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.